Welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I am your host, Ian Harditz, and today we're we'll breaking down some of the more fantasy-relevant news from the past few weeks. A lot of these episodes so far have been, you know, positional previews, thanks to doing drafts, but now I want to take a step back and just focus on some of the specific topics, things that have been happening over these past few hectic weeks in the NFL landscape. So I brought in a very special guest to help accomplish this goal, a veteran of the game, longtime Yahoo, fantasy, longtime Yahoo Fantasy Sports scribe. Scott Pianowski. Scott, how's it going, man? I'm doing great, Ian. Uh, long time no talk, right? Yeah. I was on uh, Scott's podcast this past weekend. Awesome, awesome time talking, uh, you know, some, some fun, fun, fun things. We're talking carnival offenses, which was, you know, I, I actually didn't know what that term was at first, but entertaining offenses, bad defenses. Scott, uh, quick words on the pod and kind of what you guys have planned over at Yahoo for the season. Uh, yeah, uh, you were you were batting leadoff for us for a new initiative for us. What we're doing is uh, we're going five days a week. We're going to do five episodes a week all through the season. But specifically in August, what we're looking to do is we're trying to get as much talent outside of Yahoo to, to guests. That you know we had Ian on, um, Chris Raybon was was a guest Monday with Andy Barons. So you can uh, you can pick your favorite Yahoo. Scribe, if you want, you know, if you, if you want to, if you're into Matt Harmon, you're into Liz Loza, Dalton Del Don, you know, Andy Burns, yeah, no, no problem with that. Um, I'm going to be the guy who tapes on Sunday night for, for Monday morning arrival. So you're going to get a lot of different voices, a lot of different opinions, and then it's up to you to distill, you know, who who maybe means more to you than other people and then and ultimately come up with your own decisions. But we're going to try to get as much talent as we can, uh, both Yahoo and non-Yahoo talent coming at you in, in, in August. And again, I was, I was thrilled to have you bat lead off for us. I hope people go back and listen to that episode. Uh, you know, Ian had a lot, of, a lot of great things to say. I mean, you, you, you know, if you listen to this podcast, you, you know what he's done. He's a rising star in the industry. And so uh, thanks a lot for, uh, for uh, again, getting us off to a good push there. Yeah, appreciate that, man. That was a great talk. And yeah, make sure everyone you go check out that whole pod series. As Scott's saying, a whole lot of good voices, smart minds all around. So uh, so everyone knows we're recording this on a Tuesday afternoon. I understand, you know, the opt-out te- uh, tentative deadline is Thursday. So maybe some new news hits between now and then. I'm knocking on wood right now just in case. But either way, we have plenty of hot items to break down that have already happened. So without further ado, let's get into it. And the first topic, this guy has been in and out of the news for seemingly the past Two years with nothing to do with actual on-football field performance, Antonio Brown. He's back, apparently. He's unretired. Uh, he's got an eight-game suspension. Like, this was the whole thing throughout the summer. We just didn't know how long he was going to be suspended, if he'd even be allowed to play. You know, Already things popping up again about court cases still going on, but tentatively we're expecting Antonio Brown to be eligible to play in Week 9 of the 2020 season. Scott, what are your thoughts on like just approaching A-B in drafts in general, or are you just staying away? Yeah, it's it's not fun to say this, but I'm I'm gonna stay away. I mean, the the eight games is really a kill shot. I, I hate to wait that long for anything in fantasy, and it's not like he's a sure thing. He'd be going to a new offense, learning a new system, you getting familiarity with a new quarterback. There'd be other people in that offense. Uh, I just think it, it just takes too much time to ramp him up to a level where we could feel good about. I mean, and then, then look, maybe he comes back and he's on a limited snap count, right? Or he's not running the full route tree or whatever. It's a shame to say all these things because I thought he was easily, uh, not only on a Hall of Fame trajectory, but I thought he was going to end his career, you know, a top 10, maybe even top five receiver of all time. That good. He, he had the most fantasy points in the 2010s from non-quarterbacks. So um, I don't think I need to tell listeners this podcast that Antonio Brown was a dynamic football player, but 
I'm gonna I'm gonna be late to that story. If he has a, a, another act in his career, it's I'm gonna be one of the last people to jump on board just because it's it's just been one problem after another, and I I just need to see something on the field before I want to get invested in him. It's a good point, man. I mean, we almost took for granted just how special he was. If you just want to think of the king of the wide receiver position over the past, you know, a few decades, you can make an argument. It went from, you know, Rice to Moss to maybe like Calvin Johnson and then definitely Antonio Brown over these past, you know, five, ten years. I mean, 2018 led the league in receiving scores. It's not like this dude was ever washed on field when we ever see it. I guess, you know, the Seahawks rumors have been heating up. Like, is there a spot that he could go where, like, we wouldn't just be expecting – like he, he would need to be in your starting lineups if, if he ends up being active is what I'm trying to say. Like, can you think of any spot around the league where Antonio Brown is suiting up and you just would not start him? Probably not. I, I just feel like it's just for a long way away from that. Um, you would want him to land. You know, it, it's interesting. I mean, the, when the Patriots signed him last year, you know, which, which feels like five years ago, but <laughs> people thought, Oh, you'll hear the Patriots go again, you know, buying the distressed asset at, at a good price. And then he, he had a productive game in Miami. I mean, he hardly had time to you know meet everybody on the team. Right. And, uh, and he threw a big number up at Miami, but uh, you, you know, the, the thing, the real complicated thing here is the suspension, right? I mean, if he wasn't suspended, you know, say he was coming off an injury, maybe a team he could wait and, and see if a team had a, a lot of injuries at receiver. You know, say Michael Thomas were to get hurt in New Orleans, or you know, Philadelphia lost another receiver. You know, because they have all sorts of uh, questions there with their depth. You, you know, I, I thought maybe that's what Cam Newton was going to do before he signed with with the Patriots. Maybe he's just going you know, to wait out a team that was really desperate a quarterback and then jump in there. But the suspension, I, I just wonder if that dissuades anybody from even signing him right now. And um, it, look, at least we have some news on it because he, he was completely uncertain for a long time. And we, we didn't, we were all kind of flying blind on it. At least now we have a little bit of clarity. But the, the eight-game suspension to me is a kill shot. I, I won't yeah. be drafting him in best ball, and I won't be drafting him certainly in seasonal. I'm still willing to use like a late teens pick on the guy, but I remember Scott Fishbowl. I got AB in like round 10 or 11, was feeling good about myself after doing so. But if I made that same pick, you know, this week, not not quite so much. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you in general. Anything other than just the latest of round picks on AB is probably going to be a waste. I'll, I'll say then. this: if you were going to take a best, uh, you know, a, a fishbowl type of league where you're trying to beat a million different people and. All you care about is the theoretical upside, and you don't, you know, the pick doesn't doesn't work out fine. You drop him, you pick up somebody else. But when you're trying to win a gigantic contest, that's that's the one time maybe I'd be willing to, to make this type of pick where you just, you know, what's what's the point of trying to come in 128th out of a thousand? Then nobody cares about that. So. I'll sign off at least for the spirit of why you took him in the fishbowl. <laughs> All right, so only only major, major tournaments like that. Do you draft AB or go zero RB? Those are the rules, everyone. So moving on. Uh, so the biggest opt-out name we've gotten, truly, in terms of fantasy land, you know, we've had some Patriots defenders that are maybe better real-life assets, but Damian Williams. And now, seemingly, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is locked in as the Chiefs' number one RB. Some people are talking up DeAndre Washington, Patrick Mahomes, shower narrative back at Texas Tech. But I don't know, man. You draft you draft CEH in the first round. Seems like he's going to be just the stud RB feature workhorse from day one. I have him as my PPR RB6. Where do you rank the Chiefs first round back? Yeah, I think I'm just a little bit lower than you. I, certainly a first round pick for me. And, and, and I'm, I'm not just talking 10, 11, or 12. I mean, you, you could pick him as high as 6 or 7 or 8. And I could at least see why you're doing it. I'm just a little bit nervous that 
a- Andy Reid is such a good play designer, and they have other talented guys. You know, remember we were excited about Darrell Williams for a second, and, and Washington does have talent. Darwin Thompson had a lot of buzz. If you, you rerun the clock a year ago, people were talking about him as this inter- interesting stash in the Kansas City backfield. I, I, the bottom line is I get nervous when you have to buy somebody at the high end of their range, and I, I just feel like you're going to have to do that with CEH. So when it comes to, like, I'm on the clock, pick six, pick seven, I, I don't think I'm going to take him there. But flip side, I'm in the, uh, what is it, the the Rasball League, uh, the Rasball um, expert thing that they're yeah. doing. I, I was on the clock late in the first round when the news broke that Williams wasn't going to play. And I just auto-picked. I didn't literally auto-pick it, but I just, just snap-picked, uh, snap-call on CEH, just yeah. saying, okay, at least I have him somewhere. At least if he goes crazy, at least I know this is one of my teams that's benefiting from him. So I think he belongs in the first round. I don't think I'll be quite as proactive as some people, just just because when somebody becomes the buzzy, shiny toy, I, I think I'm just wired that a lot of times the plus EV things in fantasy and in life are the boring things. And, and maybe I, it's just I, I'm too boring of a fantasy profile guy to... to to, to take the new toy and say, okay, I'll pay whatever it takes. I don't care. So um, I have him a little bit lower than you, but he's certainly a first-round pick. And, I mean, when Andy Reid starts saying somebody's better than Brian Westbrook, I think we have to pay attention. That's the thing, man. I I hated that comp when I heard it. And I was like, why are we comparing this rookie to, you know, one of the better running backs the Eagles have ever had? And then I find out, oh, Andy Reid made the comparison. So I was like, okay, I, I guess that's a little more reasonable than that. At least it wasn't some random uh, fantasy analyst like Well, you know, it's funny. A, a few years ago – I was hearing some, a discussion about uh, the Saints rookie Alvin Kamara, and somebody in and so the the quote that they had from Sean Payton, they were introducing him like you're not going to believe who Sean Payton compared Alvin Kamara to. And so I'm in the car and I'm kind of thinking along. I'm like, okay, I bet Payton compared him to Reggie Bush, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. And then I I hear that Payton actually compared him to Marshall Falk. I almost drove off the road, <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, don't don't compare anybody to Marshall Falk. What are you doing? And it, I mean, look, it turns out Sean Payton surprise knows a little bit about football, probably more than I do. Right. And Kamara, I, I still don't think it's fair to compare him to Falk. I mean, I think Falk, you know, at this stage would would have to be the the guy who did more for fantasy. But I mean, man, Kamara's obviously been a monster. Even his bad seasons are great seasons. He gets eighty plus catches every year. He, he's part of an offense we can rely on they've had so much continuity there right Peyton's been there forever Breeze has been there forever they've had the same offensive coordinator who I guess is under Peyton to some degree but so you know look I I know part of our game is fantasy game is dealing with coach speak and and a lot of times they're just going to blow smoke and say oh yeah this this undrafted receiver is catching everything in camp and you know a lot of times that stuff is nothing but there's some coaches I think can't help but tell the truth I I don't think Andy Reid is in the business of just trying trying to puff up his players and then we find out, oh, it's, it's a big smoke screen. I think he's actually more honest than he should be sometimes. So the fact that he went out of his way to make a big deal out of Edwards Hilaire and, and to make that Westbrook comp or say maybe he's better than Westbrook, I, I actually put some stock in that. And for me, it's when the coach speak and the you know financial incentives with the guy match. That's what, that, Those are situations that we should feel more confident about. I mean, we just don't see teams, unless it's the Seattle Seahawks, using a first-round pick on a running back and then proceeding not to feature that guy to at least a heavy extent. And honestly, maybe this won't be the 80% Kareem Hunt role that we saw in the past, but I don't even think it needs to be, man. I mean, even at just 50 60% snaps with those targets in this offense, I mean, he can do a bunch. And, you know, the big knock on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, uh, you know, the – 
draft Knicks. You know, people smarter than I at evaluating prospects has been his pass blocking. But luckily in Kansas City, they asked their running backs to block at one of the lowest rates in the league. I mean, Damian Williams and Kareem Hunt never had more than eight pass block snaps in a single game with the Chiefs. You know, you see Damian running that wheel all the time, you know, hoping to take the blitzing linebacker, force him to peel off, account for a man that way. And if not, you know, it's going to be a big play. So, Great offense, great scheme. I, you know, I, I understand people didn't have this guy ranked necessarily in your top three running backs before the draft, but I think like Kamara, when we have great coaches and great teams getting these running backs and set to feature them, pay attention, people. Do not be afraid to go after Clyde heavy and early. I want to hit three more really quick things before we get out of this topic. One, a lot of times teams tell us more by what they do than what they say. But when the action and the quote line up, as you say, then we really have to pay attention. One thing I love about the Chiefs is, well, we obviously want running backs in fantasy who catch the ball. And there's no big secret there. But the Chiefs love to use their running backs on pass routes. I mean, we're not just talking like the dump off. The play hasn't worked out. Let's just get rid of the ball. I mean, they actually use their guys on downfield routes. And that's why it's really exciting when they get somebody who can be utilized in that way. And, um, I had a third point that I, that escapes me right now. So I'm, <laughs> whatever, I'm sure it can't be that important if I can't remember it. But um, oh, yeah, good, man. I mean, yeah, that's a that's a good uh, audit, I think, of the Edwards Hilaire situation. Yeah, we had Graham Barfield uh, on here a week ago. One, you know, the best minds and just evaluating prospects, I think, in our industry. And he said he has Clyde as the best receiving back to come out since Christian McCaffrey. So truly believe we are talking about an at least above average talent. And like we've been talking about, perfect situation. I remember so. the third point really quick. Yeah. I think you make a great point that look, I think we we went to there was a time in fantasy where we didn't think that much about the pass blocking skills of running backs. And I think we've gone too far where we're all in panic. Oh, my God, what if this guy can't pass block? I think it's actually a lot less important than the fantasy industry has thought maybe the last few years. I think it's time to pull back a little bit on that. It's important. You can't get your quarterback killed. And. You know, God, God forbid somebody whiffs in Tampa Bay and, and Tom Brady goes down in a heap. That you know, that guy may be sent to Siberia. But it's important. I think it's not as important as maybe we've been led to believe uh, the last few seasons. I, I think that's fair. In most situations around the league, with the possible exception being Tampa Bay, who we're talking about next, they finally signed a veteran running back. We've been waiting for it all offseason. Thought it might be Devontae Freeman. No, it's 32-year-old LaShawn McCoy. Now, as someone that did watch, you know, every every snap of Chiefs football and everyone else around the league last year, I maintained Shady was not totally washed. Now, I you know he was a healthy scratch in the Super Bowl. Wasn't like this dude deserved to be out there. But, I mean, you still saw the vintage jump cuts sometimes. Like, I think he still got something left in the tank. And we're talking about a coach that, you know, once upon a time, it took injuries to Andre Ellington and Chris Johnson before Aaron's would put in rookie David Johnson. Do you think McCoy can, you know, factor in this backfield? And I don't know if he's going to be a feature guy, but at a minimum, you know, lower the ceiling for everyone else involved? I mean, I don't blame them. They don't have an obvious answer in Tampa Bay, so I don't blame them for just adding somebody and, and kicking the tires and, and seeing if there's some tread left with McCoy. I, I don't blame them for doing that. I'm not going to draft him proactively. I, I feel like at the end of the season, we're going to look back and see that there was a right Tampa Bay back to to have and it's getting you know everything looks so obvious in retrospect right oh well how did i not see this coming of course it was going to be fill in the blank i have a very low confidence that mccoy is going to be the guy we're going to look back on regretfully and think oh yeah why didn't we see this coming but yeah, i don't i don't blame arians for doing it. it it's a very low cost move and you know if they can get something out of him and again mccoy i mean he, he was one of the top players in the 2010s too i i, th- I think i recently posted a, a poll a, a question a trivia question 
who were the top three PPR scorers, non-quarterbacks in the 2010s. And McCoy was the guy who most people weren't getting. I mean, this guy was a monster in Philadelphia. Um, But 32 is just really old for a running back. He he has a lot of mileage on him. I I think it's right to kick the tires. I think ultimately he probably won't make the team or he'll be a bit player who who kind of fizzles out. So I'm I'm not optimistic about McCoy, but I can understand why, because they have an unsettled backfield. Why not just kick the tires and see if there's anything there? Yeah, one of the best, swaggiest running backs from the past 10 years. Even those Bills years, I mean, more good things were happening than not when Shady was out there on the field. So right now, I mean, where McCoy is going in drafts, I, mean, I saw him go in the 15th or 16th round, a 12-man uh, pros versus Joes thing I was doing earlier this week. So if he's that cheap, I why not? But I don't know, man. I look at this backfield, and Ronald Jones should be the favorite to lead the team in touches, but... I think the most likely outcome is what we saw last year. That's a three-back committee. Am I wrong? No, I, I think you're right. And it's, it's, it's also, I want to see if anybody can become their James White. If anybody can become the guy that, that Brady has supreme trust in and, and is willing to, to use proactively. Uh, I've always thought White was one of the most underrated parts of the Patriots uh, over, over the last five or six years. I, I think he probably should have been MVP at that Super Bowl win over Atlanta. If he's not going to win it then, I mean, man, you just give it to the quarterback every time. But, um, you know, could uh, a good Bawale be that guy? Could could Rojo be that guy? Uh, obviously, they, they put uh, some draft capital into Vaughn. So there's a lot of moving parts here. But And also, remember, too, that Brady, they brought in Brady. It, it, I mean, look, I'm going to miss Winston. That, that whole traveling circus that they had last year <laughs> w- was a really fun team. You know, he throws some to the other guys. He throws some to his guys first team to 35 one I thought that was a really entertaining style of football and I'm going to miss it just don't don't forget that they pretty much brought in Brady and they've upgraded defense this could be I think a plus defense at least an average defense and maybe even a plus defense I, I think they brought in Brady just to not to turn the ball over I think they're hoping that Brady over a full season could be like a 26 touchdown nine interception guy you just protect the ball move it get you know we can win with 24 27 points with the way our defense is constructed just don't give away the game the way winston often did so with that in mind i wonder if if there's even that much to gain in this offense i wonder if it it might just be more about octane and and not about flash and and how much fantasy juice we get from it and maybe the backfield because you know new england for all the hand-wringing about oh there's so many backs you can't trust belichick i mean I, i always think that's kind of a um, unfair way to frame it but I just wonder maybe it's possible in this backfield there is no right answer because there just that isn't that much to mine here you know Rojo Keyshawn Dari Shady maybe the answer is just no that's, that's a good point and you know Bruce Aarons has already gone on record changing his moniker from no risk it no biscuit to you can't go broke taking a profit as you kind of uh, brought up earlier like it's not good to buy guys at their ceilings and unfortunately all the Tampa Bay Buccaneers except for the running backs but just who knows are pretty much being priced at their ceilings so I'm with you man like I think it'll be a good team that defense is solid especially second half of the year when they had a uh, Dean and Davis starting to hold down the secondary too I mean they got the pass rushers Tampa I think they'll be a very good team you know when next season comes around but in terms of just this fancy football powerhouse not so much now Another team, staying in Florida here with quarterback situation. Tua coming in, Fitzmagic, incumbent starter. Still got Josh Rosen on the roster. And surprisingly with Tua, I mean, just with this hip injury, I think a lot of us expecting him to kind of start camp on the pup list. And it sounds like he's ready to compete for the job. He will not be on the pup list. And, you know, I'm 
seemingly he's 100% from the hip injury. Now, to me, this always looked like a situation where it would be okay for Tua to sit on the bench, learn, fully recover, let Fitzmagic go out there. Everyone likes him, you know, do one more year before you really try to bring it in in 2021. But, man, if Tua is as good as everyone thought he was before injury, I mean, he should probably be the favorite to start week one now, right? I'm still going to lean towards Fitzpatrick only because – Look, Miami's obviously a team on the improve. I mean, they, you know, it took them a couple of months to get a win, but in the second half, I think they went five and three in their final eight games. They were a covering machine. I, yeah. I was, you know, for a while, I, I just felt like I was holding my nose when I was picking Miami in the second half. I even stopped holding my nose. I was like proactively, look, Parker's doing it for me. Fitzpatrick's doing it for me. These guys keep covering. And of course, they very famously beat New England in week 17, knocked them out of the bye. And, uh, you know, I mean, so they, they were really doing a lot of good things. But I don't. I think they realize. Look, they, they've upgraded the team in a lot of ways. They have a really nice defensive secondary now, and I think Flores was a, was a really smart hire. He's he's changing the culture down there. But I think they they know they're still a year or two away. Two is off a major injury. I would think, you you know, just give him time to get comfortable with the NFL game with with you know, going in film rooms with Fitzpatrick and just seeing what the speed of the game is like and all that. I would not force this move because he's your guy for the long term. And this is not no, – nobody thinks I think Miami is like has 10, 10 or 11 win upside this year. Right. I mean, this is a team that maybe could be a playoff team next year or the year after that. So I would I would just put him in the in the learning center right now. And, and if, you know, Fitzpatrick gets hurt or if there's a, a good window, you like the schedule where you, you're not exposing him to the Steelers or something like that. You know, week five, week six, week seven, maybe I could see that. But I'd be surprised. Just the, the lean I get is that Fitzpatrick is going to be starting opening day. And we'll, we'll probably at least start a third of the schedule. And that's interesting, man, because if we look at that and we look at Tyrod Taylor, I'm any fantasy draft, Fitzpatrick and Ty God are going, you know, bottom five quarterbacks selected pretty much, if at all. I mean, it's, unless you're in some deep best ball league, they might not, not even be going at all. And, I mean, especially Tyrod, that early season schedule is looking good. And Fitzpatrick, he was the QB2 in fantasy, only behind Lamar upon taking over in week seven last season. So, I mean, if, if you're going late round QB and really, really, really want to go late, uh, these two dudes are going to be available. I still think we're going to see the rookies come in sooner rather than later. I mean, 17 of the 20 top 10 QBs drafted since 2010 started double-digit games in their first season. You know, for every year, we do see the quarterback sitting behind uh, the starter way more often we see you know the starter struggle a little bit cries for the first rounder to come back out but hey man if there's no crowd noise no chance to really boo the decision making as much maybe uh, we will see fits going on I guess like we should expect at a minimum no matter who's under center for this Dolphins passing game at a minimum to be a lot of fun again yeah I think so and remember you know part of what throws a wrench into the two situations is coming off a major injury so at least that's an extra layer of incentive for him to do that. But I mean, look, I believe in the Parker breakout. The light certainly went on for him. We saw, we saw Gusecki. Don't we love the hybrid tight end who isn't really a tight end? The guy's being split out wide. The guy doesn't always have his hand on the ground. I mean, you know, I, I love a tight end who doesn't have to take out the trash yeah. and, and do some of that stuff, you know, chip all the time. And, and I think he can be an impact player. He's at the right time where tight ends, a lot of times th their careers hit that ascending arc. And, and Preston Williams, a, a guy who, you know, I mean, I laughed earlier about, you know, the, the undrafted receiver doing something in camp. I mean, there are reasons why he wasn't drafted that didn't have to tie into his ability. He's like a pretty darn good football player for about half the season. I know all the efficiency metrics didn't love him, but 
I, I think he's an interesting guy. I'm, I'm very curious to see. And I don't know how much information we're going to get from any team in August. And we're not going to have preseason games. And some teams are more honest than others. But um, we talked in, in the Yahoo podcast we did together. We talked about teams that have narrow usage. And I think this could be one of those teams where the distribution of targets is just not it's very concentrated. There's going to be a lot, a lot of Parker games, double-digit targets. If Williams is healthy, I think he's going to grab a big share of that pie. I think Gusecki is, is all systems go. I think his ADP has been reasonable, in part because there's just a lot of tight ends in his bracket that I, I think they kind of muddle together. Some people may prefer Fant or, or Hawkinson or, you know, whatever it is. But, um, yeah, I'm excited about Miami's offense. And, and, you know, and the other great thing about Fitzpatrick, I mean, talk about a GGAF quarterback. He'll <laughs> run. He doesn't care. He'll throw his body in there. He'll 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 take on the contact to get the first down. He probably over a full season would be a good bet to have three or four rushing touchdowns. You know, a guy. You know, think of how well Josh McCown played at the end of his career, where you're journeyman all the way. But at some point, you've seen every offense, a defense. You know all the checkdowns. You know all all the hot reads, and, and you know how to ap- approach playing quarterback. I, I I think Josh McCown will be successful in whatever he ends up doing, whether it's coach. Uh, you know, offensive guru, if he wants to run quarterback camps, he'd be a great announcer. And I, I feel the same way about Fitzpatrick. I, I just feel like they've been through everything. They've seen everything. God knows they played for like half of the league, uh, especially in Fitzpatrick's case. So Miami, I think Miami's going to be a really fun team. I And in the post-Brady era, where the AFC East is wide open, we know New England's had a lot of opt-outs. I, I think there's a lot of this division's up for grabs. And I think it's, there's going to be a lot of competitive football. And I, I think... The bad team in the, in this division is much better than it's been in recent years, and you know the Patriots. I don't I don't think are an automatic, you know, bet to win this division anymore. I still think right now Buffalo might be the best bet to win it. You know the Jets do have talent. Nobody likes Adam Gase. I'm excited for AFC East football in a way that I haven't been in, in really a, a considerable amount of time. Yeah, man, and even you know adding more fuel to the Fitzpatrick flame is you know having old old pal from the Buffalo and Jets days, Chan Gailey, now in Miami, calling the plays for them. So should be anyone's idea of one of the more pass happy attacks in the league. As you said, narrow distribution with some ballers. I am fine buying pretty much all these Miami assets at their current price. I mean, none of them are really all that expensive. So another situation where we have narrow distribution. I'm not quite sure the talent level, but Green Bay. I mean, there's Devontae Adams and. That is literally almost the only sure thing we have in this passing game. I, I love Aaron Jones. You love Aaron Jones. Everyone loves Aaron Jones' talent. But, I mean, last year the dude was averaging over six targets per game with Devontae, under four when Devontae uh, – I'm sorry, over six without Devontae, under four once Devontae was back on the field. And now, I mean, Devin Funches was like literally, with all due respect to their CFL guy, uh, like the only – even mid-end, like I can't call him a high-end acquisition. They didn't add anyone to their receiver rooms. Funches was kind of supposed to maybe be that guy, but he opted out. Like, he's done. So now, Alan Lazard already should have been considered the favorite for a number two spot, but even more so, I think he's locked into that. We'll see who fills out the number three spot in Green Bay, but are you buying Lazard at this cheap price? Because, you know, I, I don't know how you feel about him, but Aaron Rodgers seems to love this guy more than like any other receiver that's been through Green Bay in quite some time. Yeah, you know... um, Here's where I need confirmation. I need to know if he has Aaron Rodgers' cell phone number. If, if, they, if they're cell buddies and text buddies, then I'm, I'm all in on this guy as, as, as much as anybody can be. I mean, look, we know Green Bay had a very strange draft. They took a quarterback in round one. They took a running back in round two. This is a team that desperately needed a receiver in a class that was loaded with them, one of the best receiver classes we've ever seen. And they said, no, nah, all set. We're going we're gonna to roll with these guys. So 
you can say um, maybe they just don't understand what's going on here. It's you know maybe they're not doing the right thing, but maybe they, that's a a comment on the talent they have. I think Sternberger is kind of interesting here too. Is I know it's been forever since Rodgers has made a tight end fantasy viable, but I like the way he popped. Made, made a couple of big plays in the playoffs. I think he's an interesting, like just like a depth add best ball or maybe a what the heck final round pick in a seasonal league. But uh, you know, Lazard, I, I right now he has to be there too. And I know they're going to have games. I mean, look, I, I think Adams is going to throw up a target total we haven't seen in a while. It yeah. used to be that guys would challenge for 200. Now it's come down to like 160, 170. I forget if it was you who had the, had the tweet that his target total could start with a two. Yes, sir. I, I, I believe that. I think that's in play. And what we love about Adams is he's a touchdown guy too. I mean, he's for all the talk about touchdown rates and regression and everything, there's a reason why some guys can score double-digit touchdowns and some guys can't. Adams very good with the back shoulder throw, very good with contested catches, playing in space, just understanding boundaries and footwork and all that. So I, I, not that anybody's on this podcast to try to get sold on, on Devontae Adams. We know he's great. But uh, I think the look, the thing with Lazard is they didn't draft anybody, and the guy who was ostensibly the, his main challenger for the wide receiver two position is now not on the roster. So, you know, everything's falling his way. It seems like Rodgers likes him. He did pop a little bit in the second half of last season I still think his ADP is probably outside the top 50 receivers I, I think he should be going like wide receiver 43 wide receiver 45 something like that I think there's still a nice buying opportunity here oh absolutely and that's a big thing here the price to get the potential Green Bay number two option in the passing game is just dirt cheap all around Sternberger's going outside the top 20 tight ends I mean I, I wouldn't really be taking dart throws on Valdez Scantling or Equinemius St. Brown or Kumaro or any of those guys, but Lazard seems like that guy, and hey man, I'm pretty confident he's got that Rogers cell phone number. I mean, from uh, Matthew Barry's like, report from the Combine, reportedly, allegedly, Lazard spent Thanksgiving at the Rogers household. Wow, uh, there you go. <laughs> apparently- the shower narrative. I want the Thanksgiving narrative, okay? I want to know where everybody spent Thanksgiving. Was it with teammates? Who did the cooking? You know, who, who brought the pie? I that, I'm going to move him up five spots on, on my list on that on that Thanksgiving tidbit alone. I, there's like no other receiver. In, I mean, okay, Lazard has some nice games last year. I'm mean, not against the best competition, but whatever. Had three pretty nice uh, boom performances. But, you know, every conversation about him more or less comes down to off-the-field stories with Rodgers. It's, it's too funny. But like you said, man, outside the top 50 receivers, like it's just hard to find guys at that point in the draft that could literally be the number two option in their passing game. Cheap enough, same with Sternberger. I'm all in and taking a shot there. Now, less muddled, or I say more muddled distribution is going on in San Francisco, particularly in their backfield. Now, Shanahan hasn't always been a committee guy, but I don't really see a scenario where it's not going to be that again this year. They went ahead, they restructured Raheem Mostert's contract, so they gave him a little financial boom. Not a ton, though. Not enough that I think we should see him, you know, pushing for like 80% snaps all of a sudden. The guy went for 220 yards and four touchdowns in the NFC Championship game and then played only 62% of the snaps in the Super Bowl. Like I don't know what Mostert needs to do to get a featured role in this offense. Tevin Coleman's back. Jeff Wilson's there. We're even hearing Jarek McKinnon whispers, you know, for the third, fourth offseason in a row. So how are you approaching this 49ers backfield now knowing that Mostert, you know, is not a holdout candidate and he's seemingly happy for the time being? Yeah, this makes me sad to say this because for several years I've been waiting for Mostert to get a step up into enough weekly volume that we could trust him for fantasy. I, I've always thought he had talent. I've always loved his per play 
metrics. And, and I, I know that can lie to you sometimes. You know, when a guy gets five carries in a game, it's it's late in the second half. It, it, it's in garbage time. It's against tired defenders or whatever it is. But, I mean, man, and, I, and look, I know yards per carry is a, is a very misleading stat sometimes. But when you're in the mid-fives, I mean, you, you, you're doing something right. And but the thing with Shanahan is I, I think Shanahan, he's been so successful at, you know, in Cleveland and in, in Washington and in Atlanta – with so many different running backs and, and so many guys who people didn't think that much of, who I, I think if you just give him a league average running back and put him in his system, he can he can make beautiful music out of that. And as much as I think they do like Mostert, uh, although they were still using him on special teams late last season, which was driving me crazy, but um, I, I feel like he probably thinks he could make something special happen with Coleman. It didn't happen last year. Obviously, they had some nice times in Atlanta, but... He probably feels that way about McKinnon if he were healthy. Or maybe there's, there's even somebody deeper on the depth chart we're not thinking of. I, I just feel like McKinnon thinks that you, you give me a lawn chair and you give me a week to, to get this guy up to speed and I'll make him a, you know, a 4.7 yards a carry, 800 yards, seven touchdown guy. I think Mike Shanahan felt that way. I think Kyle Shanahan felt that way. Mostert, not that much mileage, but he is kind of a sneaky old 28 it's just the type of story that unless the, the ADP really kind of regresses in the room that I'm in with, with Mostert, I just can't draft him proactively. And I hate saying that because it's, it's been a blast of a story and you, you just like to have a Kyle Shanahan back. I'm just afraid Shanahan might unveil somebody else and, and maybe Mostert is just going to have too many of those games where it's like, okay, he started the game and had eight carries, you know, and the, they found something else that was working and they stuck with that. So I'm a little bit leery. Love the story that the heart in me loves Mostert. The head in me is nervous to draft him at current ADP. Yeah, I think it's a situation where we don't have too much reason to believe Mostert will be the outright undisputed number one in this backfield. It's probably going to be something resembling a two-back committee with him and Coleman, and Coleman is going 15, 20 you know, RBs later in a lot of these drafts, maybe a little bit shorter than that. But I think a lot of people forget, like Tevin Coleman in week one last year suffered a pretty nasty sprained ankle, and the guy kept playing through it. You know, Credit to him for being tough, but... Did not look like the same guy we saw in Atlanta. I mean, there were a lot of people, including myself, that were very excited to see what Tevin could do as the potential full-time lead back with Shanny. I mean, some of the efficiency things he did during that Super Bowl run were just awesome. And, you know, his extra ability as a receiver. So maybe we get more of a healthy version of Coleman. Jeff Wilson is maybe that wild card you were alluding to. I mean, five touchdowns and only 30 touches last year. They did feel the need to re-sign him. Man, maybe, 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 maybe Jalen Hurd get some touches as well, man. I don't know what Shanahan's going to do with that. The thing that I am confident in, though, is I'm not sure who it's going to be in this offense, but Shanahan will put up points. And, I mean, other than Kittle, all these dudes are, you know, you don't have to use a top three-round pick to get anyone in this offense other than Kittle. Jimmy G's a solid late-round quarterback, I think, this year. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're taking a shot on someone, might as well be someone from a good offense like this. Yeah, you know, I think Andy Reid has earned the right to be on his own pedestal as far as offensive designers. But I, I think Shanahan's the number two offensive designer in the league right now. And I actually think, I was telling my, my colleague Frank Schwab this privately, I, I think Mike Shanahan should be in the Hall of Fame. I think there's an excellent chance when Kyle Shanahan retires, we're going to look at him with more reverence than we do Mike Shanahan. And that's, and that's I'm a huge Mike Shanahan guy. So I'm, I'm making a, that's more of a comment about how much I admire Kyle and where I think his, his story is going to go. I, I think right now he's the best offensive designer in the NFC, and I just want to take shots with, with players who are tied to him. Love it, man. Yeah, that. Uh, I still think Mike had the single best trade of that I've ever seen. Okay, 
Last 20 years. It's so you, hard. You're talking Portis and uh, Champ Bailey? Yes, sir. I, I guess you can't top the Ricky Williams for the entire drafting if you want to go back in the late 90s. But Clinton Port- getting Champ Bailey for Clinton Portis, my goodness. Well, I, I think the the, uh, the gold standard of NFL trades is the Herschel Walker trade where Dallas basically yes. stocks, stocks their team for, you know, for the next few years. Although Herschel Walker, I think, is grossly underrated. I think even if you ignore his USFL time, I think he is a Hall of Fame case. And if... If it really truly is the Pro Football Hall of Fame and you add in his USFL numbers, which are just sick, they just don't even, you look at them, they don't even make sense. That's <laughs> how good they are. I know they played two extra games in the USFL. I think Herschel Walker is a little bit misunderstood as a, as a guy. He could have won a Heisman Trophy as a freshman, finally won one, I think, as a junior. But yeah. it's a, just a fascinating, you know, what, he's an Olympic bobsledder, I want to say. Him and um, uh, Sam McGuffey, yeah. Right, right. So, um, <laughs> but, but, you know, give credit to Dallas. They realized. You, you can't be sentimental about the past. You you got to live for the for the future. And they um they saw Minnesota. They they kind of sweet talked them into a deal that ended up setting up a Dallas dynasty for like the next eight years. Speaking of Vikings running backs, Dalvin Cook, whole lot of unrest this whole offseason. Reports to reported to training camp. Now we've, we're getting rumors that he was going to report and everything was good. And then we had his agent kind of coming out and releasing statements contradicting Cook's plans. You know he reported. The new CBA, like, I've always been on the stance that Dalvin was going to play week one this whole time. It just, but the new, the new things did in the CBA in the Vikings' history of signing, you know, their kind of players that were on the verge of holding out before the season. I've maintained Cook as a top five fantasy back. Do you have any reason to be concerned about this? Or can we, you know, once again fire him up as one of the more talented backs in the league as the Gary Kubiak's RB1? Because I just feel like, you know, people are drinking the. Cloud Edward Solaire Kool Aid, and maybe you know Joe Mixon going ahead of this guy Derrick Henry. When I mean, there were not three better fancy backs than this dude when he was right in 2019. Yeah, he's a top five player, and unfortunately, as far as the holdup goes, he just doesn't have a lot of leverage. And and I realize it's a frustrating time for these first year backs, uh, these uh, first contract backs, when they realize the NFL is starting to see the fungibility of running backs. And there, there can be two different things that can be true. Running back can be highly fungible, and yet the high-end running back can still be very valuable. You know, of course, these guys are most valuable on their first contract when they're, relatively speaking, not making that much money. But I, I think Cook's ultimately going to realize, I mean, look at the guys who have held out. Did, did do anything really good for Le'Veon Bell? Probably not. And you, you, your biological clock is ticking. You only have so many years where you can play football. I, I think Cook's not a, a risk to hold out at all, and I, I think he's a, a very safe pick, you know, whether it be you want to pick him third, fourth, fifth, whatever it is. I, I think he belongs there and will stay there for the rest of draft season. Yeah, I have an article coming out Thursday where I took the top five players at each position, ADP, and just tried to figure out their worst-case scenarios, like not injury or anything like that, but just with 16 games, how could these guys bust? And with Cook, it was really hard to figure out a way, man, because, like, okay, you, if the Vikings get less positive game script, well, he could very well finish second on this team in targets behind Thielen. And, I mean, the things he can do as a receiver, they already get him the screens. But, honestly, if the Vikings are a worse football team this year, he's just going to get more targets. And, I mean, there's no digs to stretch defenses downfield. So, I guess you could argue maybe his efficiency will take a big cut. But, Man, like if we really want to sit here and rank like the top five players in the league with a ball in their hands, Dalvin Cook would be in that discussion. I'm with you, man. Like it's, I have him as fifth, but hell, fourth or third. I mean, we could, we could talk about it. Yeah, yeah. You you can't pick Cook too early for me. I also, I, I think a lot of people feel this way, and it's not really a hot take. It's just kind of an obvious take. But Adam Thielen is going to get peppered and peppered and peppered, and he's going to have an insane amount of opportunity this year. I. Um, 
Yeah, I know. He, he was hurt last year. I mean, I, I get it. People get nervous. He's, he's finally, you know, I think he's in his age 30 season, so that makes people a little bit nervous too. But Adam, Adam Thielen's been, I think, a value at ADP the entire draft season, and I'm, I'm certainly one of the people who believes in that. Thielen last year was the first time in his career he missed games due to injury and was healthy enough to come back and, you know, roast Marshawn Lattimore in the NFC Divisional round, did some good things. I'm sorry, wild card, and then some good things against the 49ers as well. Myself and the PFF projections have Adam Thielen as our PPR wide receiver six. I am fully on board with you there, man. All right, so those were the main storylines I wanted to get through. Now, before we get out of here, I do want some of your quick-hitting thoughts on some other notable guys. I mean, again, it's just been an issue with you know injuries throughout the offseason. We didn't know if guys were going to start camp on the pup list, so still have some you know more information to figure out as this, as this goes on, but just quick you know, two, three-sentence thoughts on these guys. So first... Evan Ingram, with his foot injury that took him out last season early, he has avoided the pup list, and he's been doing some off-the-field work this summer. Are you going back to the well here, or are you just kind of thinking too injury-prone? Worried about the injury-prone um, checkered history with Ingram. He's just been hurt too many times for me. It's kind of a crowded usage tree there. If I'm buying, I, I think I'd like to wait maybe another round and, and take Tyler Higby, who I know is kind of polarizing. Not everybody is, is a Higby believer, but... Uh, Ingram is reactive, not proactive pick for me. For Ingram, since entering the league, two concussions, bruised rib, multiple sprained knees, two hamstring injuries, and that IR-worthy foot injury. Anyone's idea of a top-five tight end when he's healthy, but, yeah, man, this is why I think just more and more, if I don't get one of the top three tight ends, I am waiting, waiting, waiting until double-digit rounds for sure. All right, Will Fuller has you know groin issue the guy hasn't really been healthy much at all since entering the league but he's recovered from the offseason surgery we got mr o'brien saying that yeah he's approaching 100 percent. what do you think about deshaun watson's potential and maybe even likely number one wide receiver heading into next year i mean it's a play to win pick if you could somehow get 13 or 14 healthy games out of fuller i mean he, he could be like wide receiver 11 i mean he's that good or, you know, the kind of guy who wins a DFS week for you, you catch him in the right week, he scores 37 points. I mean, he has that kind of upside. Um, so I, I, as long as you have a base of receivers in front of him, he's a great pick once you don't need him. Once it's like, okay, if he works, great. If he doesn't work, you know, he I already had two receivers on my roster or three receivers, whatever. If you can pick him in a spot where you get him in that context, I think it makes a lot of sense. And a boring pick in Houston I'm starting to talk myself into is Randall Cobb, yeah. who had a very quiet, effective year last year. And I know it looks strange. Look, it's hard when we look at Houston because we all don't trust Bill O'Brien. He gave away Hopkins. Basically, you know, the equivalent of an NBA team going over half court. There's 20 seconds on the shot clock. Let's just jack up a, a 32-foot three. And I'm not talking about a Stephen Curry 32-foot three. Let's just take the first shot we get. Okay, we got an offer for Hopkins. Done. Get this guy out of here. I mean, O'Brien can do some crazy things. But... Cobb had a nice year in Dallas, and I recently saw a thing. I, I know there's a lot of noise in the offseason cycle, but Cobb said, hey, I, I, got, my I got some glasses here. I, was, I, I couldn't see anything. I, last I checked, I'm, I'm not a receiver coach, but I think being able to see the ball and, and, and having good vision maybe is part and parcel of being a productive <laughs> NFL player. The fact that he was productive as he was last year and he couldn't even see, well, he's Houston now. Apparently, you know, if they have good optometrists in the Houston area, I, I guess he'll have some some new contacts or, or goggles or whatever he's going to be sporting. So I think Cobb's a very boring, you know, the room's going to let you have him. You know, maybe he's got like a, like a 70, you know, 850 and, and, and six season percolating under the, you know, under the surface. You can get it at a really nice price. 
Yeah, I mean, the drops were a problem last year, but in fantasy football land, I mean, unless they're taking you off the field, it's really not that big of a deal if you right. can get the production if you can get the production around it. And, yeah, man, they gave the dude $18 million guaranteed dollars, and everyone wants to look at this offense and go, oh, Fuller's going to get hurt, Cook's going to get hurt. Like, if you believe that, then you better be signing up for Cobb. I and mean, we've seen Kiki Cootie get those just – random 10 12 target games when everyone else has been hurt in this offense that could easily be Cobb in 2020 i'm with you man all these texans wide receivers I and mean, we talked about wanting to avoid uh buying guys near their ceiling well all the texans wide receivers are near their floor in my opinion great great point and and sean watson can drag people i mean he, he took darren fells who nobody had any opinion on and and made him a, a, a viable streaming tight end or a a DFS guy or even somebody some people might have played in seasonal when they were in a pinch so I mean Watson is a special talent it's frustrating to see him tied with O'Brien at times but yeah I think just buying opportunities in Houston I think we need to be open-minded to them another kind of wide open offense that we don't really know what the pecking order is going to be is out there in Las Vegas with the Raiders uh Darren Waller you know undisputed number one last year but they drafted three pretty high-end pass game targets in the top three rounds one of which was Brian Edwards who was dealing with a foot injury but he's reportedly ready to go for camp you know looking at the three wide receiver sets it seems like Henry Ruggs Tyrell Williams and Hunter Renfro should be starting out with that but I don't know man I've, I know some people are really high on Edwards like do you think this guy can make a serious impact in 2020 well when, when I think rookie receiver and when I think somebody who wasn't drafted quite that early and now he, he's dinged up and there's going to be less amp up time in 2020 with the challenges that these teams face I think he's somebody who he, he's going to have to play his way onto my roster I probably won't draft him proactively in August, the guy who I have a lot of shares of, and I, and I know this is a kind of a low return player, but I love the way Hunter Renfro was cooking at the end of last season. And, you know, life in the slot's good. I mean, you have the more defined, easy throws. A lot of times you have the lesser coverage, and, uh, you know, you don't have as many explosive plays a lot or, or the path to the touchdowns. But I, I think Renfro has an excellent chance. Waller will lead this team in catches, but I think Renfro could, could maybe in a full season challenge for like 75 catches. I, I have a lot of him as like a wide receiver five on, on some of my best ball and seasonal teams. Yeah, and adding someone like Ruggs on the outside, I mean, if those balls aren't going to him, it's at least going to make things easier for Renfro and Waller in those more intermediate areas of the field for sure. All right, moving on to Philly. Alshon Jeffrey, you know, perennially banged up it seems like the last few years he will be starting off on the pup list with a foot injury i mean he didn't he looked pretty close to wash last year i don't like throwing around that term lightly but man it didn't look good i know he was playing injured throughout the season but you know at some point these guys been playing through a bunch of injuries in all these recent seasons i mean they drafted jj ortega whiteside to seemingly be his replacement but after last year who knows i mean if jeffrey can be healthy by week one like do you think he even has a starting spot these days or are we just kind of looking at a new era in the eagles wide receiver room He's might as well be off my draft board, and and he's he's available really cheaply. So if you wanted if you want to talk yourself into Jeffrey, it's not like you have to pay a premium to do it. But I'm just afraid he's he's got his body feels like it's like five or six years older than it is, and the, the regular the the way they've drafted the last couple of years, I think, speaks to what they know about what Jeffrey probably can't do anymore. And they're going to be proactive with two tight end sets. I mean, we we know how important Earths is. They they want to get. Um, they, they want to get the two tight ends on the field. They want to get Dallas Goddard on, you know, on the field a lot. So I, Jeffrey is, is somebody I, I'll probably go through the entire draft season without having any shares to him. 
Yeah, it's unfortunate, man. I remember some of those mid two thousands uh, Bears teams with Cutler just tossing it up to Jeffrey and Marshall every single play. When that dude was right, I mean Jeffrey could just take over a game, but unfortunately, it does not seem to be that player any, anymore. You talk about those Bears teams. That that's kind of where I got this whole idea of narrow usage tree was when they had uh, Trespin was still running the show. I remember looking at a box score and how just incredibly short the Chicago box score was because it was, it was all Brandon Marshall and Jeffrey and, yeah. and Matt Forte. And it's like, and I think Bennett was on that team. That was it. Four guys really were, were the people who they focused on. I thought, man, this is really good for fantasy. They don't, there's no fullback getting the ball. There's no, you know, second tight end. They're, they're fiddling around with the goal line. You know where the bread is buttered. I, I think Forte that year had some ridiculous amount, like 92% of the snaps he played. I mean, he just basically never came off the field. And, and so when I, when I talk about narrow usage trees, I mean, a lot of times that's a tip of the cap to what Tressman did as far as making it really simple, knowing where the ball was going in Chicago at that time. Not, I don't think the Chicago Bears fans appreciate Trestman's tenure that much, but us fancy players out there have a quite lead. We're just, we're just headed for the numbers, man. Yeah. We're just for the numbers. <laughs> exactly, man. All right, two more real quick. Uh, 49ers GM John Lynch said, it is fair to say that Debo Samuel, who's dealing with this broken foot, might miss some time in the regular season. It does seem to be trending that Debo's, you know, at least the first game or two in September could at a minimum, you know, be on some sort of a snap count. And it's a pretty wide-open offense, man. We were talking about this already with the running backs, but, you know, we got the first-round pick, Brandon Ayuk, Kendrick Bourne's back, but then we got Jalen Hurd, Dante Pettis, Richie James, Trent Taylor. Even Travis Benjamin is now in the wide receiver room. So any of these 49ers wide receivers who are pretty much all going very cheap in fantasy drafts that uh, you're prioritizing? I I hate saying this. I'm I'm just not going to draft Debo, who's one of my favorite players. It would have been one of my heaviest investments, I think, in a regular season. But I I just injury optimism is so many times not proven to be your friend when it's in a long-term injury. So I can't get involved there. Kendrick Bourne interests me. I think if there's like a sneaky seven-touchdown season from one of these guys, I think it might be him. He's been somebody I've been getting. It's like a wide receiver six in best ball. And and look, I I know it's, it's so convenient to throw a best ball because you make those late best ball picks if they don't pan out i mean it doesn't hurt your team right. it's a lot more difficult and seasonal somebody actually has to you have to have a level of confidence to trust somebody in seasonal because the opportunity cost you're playing them over somebody else born's a guy in a seasonal league i might be thinking of drafting in the final round hurt is intriguing the thing that that makes me nervous about this receiver group though is that i think they're always going to have a rushing component and I think Garoppolo, I think it's time to accept that Garoppolo, and not everybody agrees with me. I know there's some big Garoppolo fans out there. I know Evan Silva likes him. I know Dal- Daldon, my colleague, likes him. They're, they're really smart guys. But I'm starting to think that maybe Garoppolo's closer to being good to pretty good rather than like, oh, like MVP candidate good. I I think he's just another quality. Maybe he's more of a Kirk Cousins type. You know, solid. You can go to the playoffs with him. Obviously, they went to the Super Bowl. If they play one more good quarter of football, they'd be you know they'd be running a parade. You know, but I'm starting to think that maybe he's not so much a game changer for fantasy as he is just a good solid starter that you can hang your hat on. It's definitely a situation where if Jimmy G's play caller was not Kyle Shanahan, I would be significantly lower on the guy. So I, I think you're on to some good points there for sure. All right, last one. Sony Michelle. Man, like he's had these chronic knee injuries, but now it's a foot that's keeping him uncertain for the start of football activities, starting off on the pup. Apparently had foot surgery in May. And I mean, look, I 
I, I think generally we overuse the term like injury prone players. Like I don't think we should fade James Conner this year just because you're assuming he's going to get hurt. But when it's a situation like Debo or Sony and like they're entering the season hurt, that's a completely different story. This is always an impossible backfield to kind of figure out. And as you were saying before, it's not like a indictment on Belichick or anything. It's just been hard to figure out. But if Sony's hurt, we seemingly only have three backs and White, Burkhead, and Damian Harris. I mean. Cam under center, man, he's going to steal those goal line carries. But anyone here you're taking a shot on? I mean, you, you hit a lot of things that I, I want to react to there. I, I just want to say really quickly, I think Connor's a great guy to target this year. I think he's an excellent chance to smash what his ADP is right now. And, and you talk about the difference between, I think somebody's going to get hurt and somebody's hurt already. I, I get nervous when somebody's hurt already. The idea that somebody's going to get hurt, uh, that, that's a different story. I do think that card is overplayed. The problem that we're, that I have with the New England offense is that, I mean, look, they, they've been just bequeathed double-digit wins for so many years in a row. And for the first time, I think their win total over-under is 9.5. So they're not even expected to get to that double-digit in, in what would be a regular season for them. And, I, you know, we why, why do we care about that? Because we love teams. We love the frame of rushing production is correlated to winning the game. The positive game script, uh, running over the de- tired defenders in the fourth quarter, working on the clock and all that. You know, every time one of those old school media persons tells you that garbage stat about, oh, you know, the Rams were 17 and one when Todd Gurley had this many touches. You know, he, he they're not winning because he's getting the touches. He's getting the touches because they're winning. Right. I'm just worried that the Patriots might just be like an eight and eight, nine and seven team. I mean, Bel- Belichick's too good for it to, to be a full tank. I, I don't buy this. You know, secret. Oh yeah, they really want Trevor Lawrence. They 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 want to go three and thirteen. They've had a lot of opt outs on defense. They've lost some personnel on the offensive line. I, I just don't think the offense is special anymore. And oh by the way, they added a, a running quarterback in Cam Newton, a double edged sword. It, it could help some of the runners maybe with lanes, but Cam may run five or six of those touchdowns in himself. So um, I'll take James White at the right price. I'm I think I'm out on. Um, I think I'm out on Michelle. I, I man, I as a Patriots fan, I, I just wish they had liked Nick Chubb a little bit more. I know Michelle was better at Georgia, at least statistically speaking. So maybe it's understandable that they took Michelle. But I, I just think obviously Chubb has turned into a much better pro in part because he's healthy. But uh, Sony Michelle, the price is coming way down. Uh, you know, I, I was in an industry thing this weekend, and, and you get him. I think he went for the minimum uh, on a bid. But um, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be on Sony Michelle this year. And I think the Patriots backfield. There's usually a right answer here. I'm not sure there's going to be a right answer in the Patriots backfield in 2020. Yeah, having Cam there, you know, I cannot be higher on this dude in fantasy. But yes, it hurts the running backs. All their upside, all their floor equally. And, I mean, last year was the year everything should have been fine for Sony with that schedule, with that defense, with the leads they got out to. But just did not quite work out. I am with if you. you. Want, if you want to take a stab at New England, and I know this guy was awful last year, but, you know, in, in a 2019 was a great rookie receiver class. Nikhil Harry was hurt. We didn't really have a chance to, to show what he could do. I, they need him to play. If he, if he shows anything in, in their practices, if he's at all ready just to deserve a spot on the field, they're going to they're gonna use him. They're going to try him. And there's plausible upside. The price is right. If it doesn't pop in a couple of weeks, you can easily cut him. I, I think once you, you've started to square away your starters and you're just looking for upside bench guys, I, I think Nikhil Harry is somebody to put a star next to. Not, not even that I'm predicting he's going to be good. It's just that the, the setup is obvious that he could be I can see a very easy scenario where the season ends and he led the team in targets or led the team in touchdown catches. I think that's in play for him. Absolutely. I mean, it's always, I was looking at him versus Sanu. I mean, they gave up a second round pick for Sanu next year. It's, 
it's crazy. But um, you know, I figured one of those two guys would be the late round guy to go to, and I did find myself with Harry more and more. And you know, now with these, you know, we didn't talk about it here, but uh, with Muhammad Sanu also, you know, not being a hundred percent healthy two star camp, I definitely agree with you. Harry is a nice little late round wide receiver dart for sure. All right, Scott, that's it, man. Thank you again so much for coming on the show. Everyone, make sure you follow Scott on Twitter at Scott underscore Pianowski, P-I-A-N-O-W-S-K-I. Scott, anything else to plug, man? Uh, no, just check out the uh, the Yahoo Fantasy Football forecast, we're calling it, but it is a podcast five days a week. You know, mix and match your favorite, um, you know, your favorite Yahoo personalities. And again, we're, we're getting talent from outside of Yahoo. You, know, you are our leadoff hitter. Um, a lot, I can't. I, I don't want to spill the beans on who's coming, but we have a bunch of a bunch of big names and talented names coming on board. So, let's get you as as many different viewpoints, as many different opinions as you can, and, and make sure you're ready to uh, to have the best draft possible when you get around to that. Awesome, man! Everyone, check out that. Check out Scott on Twitter. For Scott, I'm Ian. Thank you all for listening, and until next time.